0: Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, and today I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. She is Melissa Caro, and her book is titled Mount Mariah's Wake. A native Southerner, she has over 20 years of experience in marketing and communications, including her own business, Norton Caro Communications. She has edited textbooks and been a nonfiction ghostwriter, as well as a regular copy editor for Gannett Publishing. She received a Bachelor of Arts with honors from Vanderbilt University, where she currently and proudly works. She lives in Nashville with her husband and her blue healer, Mutt. For years, she was a closet fiction writer while raising her three daughters. The book we're going to talk about today, Mount Moriah's Wake, is her first novel. She also writes a weekly blog titled In the Middle, about life in the sandwich generation, and she's currently working on another novel. I love this title, Bagels at Nine. And I'm so excited to find out more. So welcome to the network, Melissa. Thank you. Nice to be here. Oh my gosh, nice to have you here. And congratulations on your book, Winning the Firebird. Thank you so much. No, that's always exciting.
1: It, it was very exciting. And I love I love the whole Firebirds brand. I love the promotion and, and what they do with the awards. It's a great it's a great service.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I've been making and sending pillowcases Wow, since 2010, my mom got out of the hospital after a horrible hospital experience, couldn't do anything else. And she just started making pillowcases. And every day I'd go over and she'd have like 10 and 15 pillowcases. And and I said, Mom, what are we going to do with all of these? So we started sending them to Soldiers Angels and then actually helped them develop a pillowcase project where uh, they and we were sending pillowcases to our troops overseas. Uh, once they started to pull out, then we found other venues like homeless veteran shelters and women and children's domestic abuse homes. We even did some things for animal shelters. And so when I decided to put this Firebird together a few years ago, I thought, maybe I can connect the two projects at the same time where I could give authors the opportunity to take the tax donation and to do something positive and at the same time help those in the shelter. So it's just been a beautiful, beautiful process. And so I thank you for taking part because your entrance fee obviously helped to send pillowcases and we added your name as the donor. So very much appreciative of you.
1: Well, it's awesome. And you never know where inspiration is going to come from
0: isn't that true it's so true and you know my favorite part about this is that i make these pillowcases myself in the evening after a full days of work and so i here i am in my sewing room i have no idea who is going to receive these who is going to lay their head down on them and sleep on them and they have no idea who sent them so the whole anonymity of it just kind of heightens the whole um oh i don't know the whole experience Mm -hmm. makes it more special. It does. It really does. Where nobody thanks you. You don't thank them. Nobody knows anyone. And it's just, it's kind of a neat thing. So I'm glad you were able to take part. Definitely. Yes. So this is your first foray into writing. Maybe tell us why. How did the book come about?
1: Well, I have always wanted to write a novel ever since I was a child. And um, I've written over the years, I've, I've never not written. Um, I've written in my job, and I've done freelance writing and um, textbook writing, technical writing, all sorts of writing. But um, I always wanted to write a novel, and I just didn't know what the, the novel would be. Um, the way I wrote the novel, it, it definitely was not a linear path, and I actually wrote it over the course of 25 years. And um interestingly, I wrote the epilogue first. Um, I didn't know it was the epilogue at the time, but I was taking a walk about 25 years ago, and the things that happened in Mount Moriah's Wake epilogue happened to me. And I'm not going to give any spoilers on what that is, Um, but I came home with all sorts of thoughts and feelings and wrote them down, and I kind of liked what I wrote, and I thought maybe this could be the beginning of a novel. But the problem was I didn't know what the rest of the book was to be. <laughs> Uh, so I put it aside. Um, I had a desk drawer that I kept full of passages, scenes, descriptions, and dialogues. So I added this to that. And several years later, I came across an essay that I had written uh, when I was 14 years old. We were packing up our house to move, and I was going through all sorts of old papers. And I found this essay. It was a description of my grandfather's land. And the opening lines of the essay were, For every person there is a place. A magical place magical if only because it is yours and if you've read the book you'll know that those are the opening lines of Mount Mariah's Wake written by 14 year old me mm. so I extracted those lines and some of the description and that became the book's opening but again I didn't know what the rest of the book would be um, so one day I started piecing together uh, this desk drawer full of things that I've written over the years and all of a sudden it's as if the door opened and a protagonist named Joanna walked in and sat beside me. And I felt like I already knew her, like she was real to me. And so I, I took out all of these um disparate pieces of writings and put them in her voice. And the novel just flowed from there. Um And so before, before I knew it, I had about 300 pages done and, um, had to do a lot of editing to, to make sure that they were in her voice and to, you know, um, to make sure that the, the time configuration was right. But um, that's, how it, that's how it came to be. So it was definitely not uh, your typical writing process of sitting down and starting at the beginning and ending at the end.
0: Oh Melissa, I love this story because it it's part of your whole life's journey. I mean, twenty five years is a long time and then to be able to pull the opening lines from something that a little a little young fourteen year old wrote as an observation, it's just it's a beautiful story in and of itself yeah. it really it, it really is well it it was interesting
1: because I feel like in a lot of ways, as Joanna as the protagonist grew up because the novel really, um, takes her from childhood up till, um, w- at the point when we meet her, she's 26. And I feel like in a lot of ways as she grew up and her voice matured, so did mine or vice versa. So, um, we kind of grew up together and, um, looking back, you know, some of the things that sort of bothered me about her or annoyed me about her now, I, it's because I'm looking, I'm looking at her from a 50 something year old perspective, um, but you know that's that was her voice then, and and that was that was me then. So,
0: you know that's fascinating to me all the time because I have so many authors who tell me that there is such a close relationship between them and say one of the typically the main figure in in their books that there is this ongoing relationship with somebody that you created from your mind. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's just fascinating to me that They, whole they are definitely real. The mm-hmm. characters are definitely real. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Um, they become like family to you. So,
0: I was going to ask this question later, but maybe I'm going to ask it now since we're talking about it. Um, so many times you read books and you don't care about the characters and you know you abandon the book halfway through. It's like, I don't really care about this. How do you write characters so that the reader feels like they care?
1: I, I think there has to be um, an element that, that the reader can relate to with the characters. And even if Even if a character annoys you and you don't like the character, at least you're having some response to them. I think, I think the worst thing for an author to hear is that people just didn't care about the characters one way or the other. Um, I always want readers to love my characters or, or be annoyed by my characters or hate my characters, but, you know, I don't want them to be just apathetic. And I think that it's, it's all about creating characters that are kind of a piece of you and a piece of people that you know, real people um that the readers can relate to mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's a big difference between writing a character and actually feeling the character mm-hmm. being the character having a relationship with the character because if you go if you go that route then the reader will feel that as well
1: mhm mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. you have to be able to smell their shampoo oh and, and um, <laughs> hear their voice
0: <laughs> i love that <laughs> <laughs> I have to stop and laugh about that I'm, I'm going to have to write that down You have to be able to smell their shampoo That's awesome That's the best thing I've heard in a very long time Thank you <laughs> Oh my gosh Why don't you then um, Maybe give us a peek into the book Just to okay. tease our tease our listeners
1: Okay Well, Mount Mariah's Wake is about a young woman Joanna She's 26 when we meet her And her best friend was murdered four years prior Uh, She has grown up in a small uh, mountain town of Mount Moriah. This is set in the south. Um, And still reeling from guilt, Joanna leaves the small town and moves to Chicago to make a new life for herself. And she swore she would never come back, but as the book opens, she's called back and must confront the demons of her past, including this mysterious grief that she feels over her best friend's death. The book moves between Joanna's childhood growing up in a B&B in the small mountain town of Mount Moriah and her current life in Chicago, um, her current marriage and her, um, her work life and some of the conflicts there and then her return visit to Mount Moriah. It's really about coming home and it's about, um, figuring out who you are and what you want to do with the rest of your life and, and sort of coming to terms with things that may have happened in your childhood, um, that, that you have to Learn to deal with and, and it, it really asks the question of when tragedy strikes you, um, are you a survivor or are you a victim? And choosing which path you want to go, um, is determined by whether you see yourself as a survivor or a victim. The book has several big plot twists and, um, it comes to a surprising conclusion. It also has a spiritual element to it because Joanna is a, a young woman who was raised in the Christian faith, um, raised in a small Methodist church, and she's lost her faith, and she doesn't know how to get it back. Um, and so there's that journey as well.
0: So there's so many aspects to this story that is very relatable to to readers. Well, I think that
1: anyone who grew up in a small town, the, the type of community where You feel like you know everyone, and you feel like everyone knows you. I think anyone that grew up in a small town like that can definitely relate to it. Um, It is set in the the late 90s, right around um, the turn of the century, and so um, the turn of this century. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think anyone also who grew up in the the 70s and 80s um, can relate to it. And also anyone who grew up in small-town Protestantism can definitely relate to some of the the um the spiritual
0: aspects of the book mm-hmm. what do you, what did your daughters think of your book what was their reaction
1: um they they liked it i have three daughters and they um they they were trying to guess all the way through and um, and they would read you know because there are several plot twists and there is sort of a mystery underlying the book and so they were would, they would read a few pages and they put it down and they'd say i i've got it figured out i think it's this and <laughs> some of their ideas were kind of compelling i'm like wow i wish i had thought of that but um but they were they were constantly guessing all the way through so i think they've liked the the mysterious aspect of it and i they're they're young women in their 20s and i think that they could relate to joanna Mm -hmm. um even though they didn't grow up at the time that she did um and they didn't grow up in a small town either but they could they felt like they could relate to to where she was in her life and her crossroads sure
0: sure i'm sure they learned a lot about you too
1: They did. They, um, they said it was interesting to read because they, they could hear my voice. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course, they had lived with me, you know, sitting up late at night writing. Um, you know, when you have three kids and a full time job, it's, it's hard to find time to, to get writing done, which is, you know, why I'm in my 50s publishing my first novel. Mm -hmm. Um, but they remember me sitting up at night late writing. And so they're, they found it interesting to finally read what I had been writing about all these years. Yeah,
0: I bet. I bet that's kind of neat. You have many reviews, very plentiful reviews and lots of positive reviews. Let's just talk about that aspect of writing a book and, and putting it out there and not knowing what to expect.
1: Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard. It's, um, you're very vulnerable. A writer is very vulnerable in a way that, that she's never experienced um, because, you know, uh, uh, your your book and your characters—they're they're part of you—and so it's 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 hard to put yourself out there. And and I also think that most writers are most comfortable sitting in their pajamas with a cup of coffee at their laptop writing and in their own little world with their their characters. And so a lot of the promotion that is necessary um, to promote the book and to to um, get sales um, is a little bit uncomfortable. You know, it's it's out of out of the comfort zone for, for a lot of writers, including myself.
0: Oh, that's absolutely true. Um, So many, so many people who I interview and talk with say the exact same thing, you know, they're just so happy in their little bubble writing. And then what do you do? I mean, then you've got to put that marketing hat on. Not only does it take time, a, a huge chunk. I mean, you, you can't be successful unless you take the time to market. Um, it feels uncomfortable. And then there's a learning curve. So there's a lot on the other end, the back end of writing a book to get it out there. It's not just writing it and going on to the next one.
1: There is such a huge learning curve. And I've become really appreciative of, of the fact that it's important to write reviews, especially on Amazon, to write reviews for authors, Um, you know, authors that are Million dollar bestsellers that are they're very well known. It's probably a little less important, but especially for debut novelists or for novelists that are less well known, um, reviews are everything. So um, even even negative reviews, even kind of apathetic reviews, are um, so important. It's just it's such an industry. There's so much to learn that I feel like I've just sort of skimmed the the surface.
0: Well, your reviews are very positive, and I think a lot of the reviews that you receive really do speak to your characters and the character development
1: I, I think that's what people like about the book I think it's 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 not a it's not a fast-paced um, lots of action kind of book but I think people relate to the characters and it's the character development that I think draws people in
0: so how did you feel when you were done writing the book did you feel lonely did it feel like oh, where are my friends? Where are these people? What do I do now without them? I, I, I do kind of miss them. Um,
1: um, in writing my new book, I'm not Bagels at Nine. I'm just not quite as in touch with those characters yet. They're not quite as real to me. Um, they keep surprising me, and I, I think that is something that's um, probably true for a lot of writers, that when you create a character um and you set them forth in the world, you don't necessarily know what they're going to do. So they're they're constantly surprising you. It's almost like watching a movie in your head. And um that when I say that it sort of bothers my husband. He's like, I I don't understand what you're saying because, you know, you created these characters, but you you don't know what they're gonna do. They 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 do something different and your your book goes down a different path and so um it's a very fun process. And so there there is a little bit of Uh, loneliness when you're done that, you know, they're out there. And then of course you have to put them out in the world and hope that people like them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I understand your husband to a certain extent because it doesn't seem like it makes any sense that you are writing these people. So why are you not in control of them?
1: I know it kind of bothers him when I say that because I think he thinks that that's a little bit um, neurotic, but you know, it's it's as if um, if I set a character's to go to a restaurant, and maybe I know it's an Italian restaurant, but I don't know what's going to happen. Is someone going to choke on a piece of meat at the table next to them? Is <laughs> one of them going to tell the other that they want a divorce? Is <laughs> is um, the restaurant going to get bombed? I mean, you don't – all I know is I know the characters very well, and I know that they're going to dinner, but I don't know what's going to happen. So I just put them out there and, and see what happens to them.
0: So you're not a, a person who puts the plot out there first. No, I vaguely know
1: how it's going to end and I vaguely know some of the things that are going to happen but um but I I let the characters drive the story and and in my new book um one of the characters has moved out of town and now has this long commute and I don't know how I'm going to deal with that but I support her decision. <laughs> she had to do it. So um so you, you never know where characters are going to take you.
0: See, that's interesting, too. When do you get to the point where you say, okay, this plot now makes sense? Or does it sometimes not make sense because your characters are driving the plot? I think sometimes it doesn't make
1: sense. And sometimes when the characters are driving the plot, um, then, you know, you have to go back at the end and kind of edit and say, okay, you know, that, that's got to be changed a little bit. But I... I For me, at least, I think that if you're if you're too um, consumed with plot and making the characters do things, then they don't feel real. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, in the same way that you in your own life with your relationships and your friendships, you you're not sure what your friend is going to say next. You're not sure what they're going to do. You know, people get divorces and surprise you. People um, leave jobs. People become sick. I mean, you don't you don't know what life's going to bring. And so, I think that. I try to approach characters in that way, that I don't know what's going to happen to them. I may know in the end how the story's going to, going to finish, but um, I, I think that's what makes them real to me.
0: Exactly. That's why I initially said that your reviews really kind of hone in on the characters. And so there's something that you do that's very special in writing your characters that, that allow the reader to really become immersed with that character and to care about the character. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. Maybe give us a little peek. Uh, Bagels at Nine, I'm, I'm intrigued by that title.
1: Well, Bagels at Nine is about four women um, in their 40s. And they're, they're each at the, at the time of life when um, so much is happening. You know, there, there's um, marital infidelity to deal with. There are financial issues. Uh, one, one of the women is taking care of her elderly parents. Uh, One is a cancer survivor. One is dealing with teenage children's issues. Um, It's all the things that we as women and mothers deal with um, at that time of life. And as the book opens, three of the women get a phone call that something has happened to the fourth woman, that she is gone. And they're all in shock and grief. Um, And then the book starts telling um, the story of their friendship and how they got to be friends. And and telling each woman's story, but what the reader doesn't know, because the in the beginning, the, those three women are not named. So you know that one of the characters is gone at the end, but you don't know in what way is she gone? Is she dead? Is she hospitalized? Is she in prison? You know, what what has happened to her? And you don't know which one. Oh. So um, you have to read the book and, and figure out what has happened and to which one.
0: Oh, that sounds tricky to write.
1: Uh, Well, so far it is being tricky to write, but um, I'm I'm making some progress, but the big difference between it and Mount Moriah's Wake is that it is written in third person, not first person, Mm -hmm. and I think that that is proving to be uh, more challenging for me.
0: A challenge, I would imagine, especially after you're immersing yourself in that first book in first person and to make that switch. Mm -hmm. It's a very different book, but it is also set
1: in the South, and so, um, you know, this the South is what I know. It's what f- what's familiar to me. And um, a very wise English professor told me in college to write what you know. And that's the best advice I've ever been given.
0: It's not something you have to then research and try to figure out and hope that you're accurate. I mean, you already know it. Right. And, and it is right. true. Yes. When is that due to come out?
1: Uh, I don't know. Okay. I'm, probably, um, I'm probably a third of the way through it. Uh-huh. So I think it's probably going to be another... Eighteen months to two years before it's actually out.
0: Well, as long as we don't have to wait twenty-five years. No, no, <laughs> we we can't.
1: I'm I'm too old for that. I'm going to have to move more quickly. So, <laughs> and there are a lot of other things I want to write. So, um.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. Once you get on a roll, there's all kind of ideas, and I'm sure you could still go back into that drawer with all your bits and pieces to look at. There are a <laughs> lot of bits
1: and pieces, and I have to say that I. Um, one thing that surprised me is I didn't realize that. Um, 88,000 words is sort of the magical word count for uh-huh. a novel because that's, that translates to the length that somebody would want to buy and, and want to give it a try. Um, and I started out with 120,000 words in Mount Moriah's Wake. And so I had to cut about, I cut about 14,000. It's still a little bit longer than I would have liked, but, or than my publisher would
0: have liked, but. Mm, Interesting. Well, it is what it is. How's that? It is. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, tell us about your blog in the middle, talking about the sandwich generation. Why do you write that?
1: I started that. That was very cathartic for me because um, my parents, during the the 2000, starting about 2011 until 2019, I was really um, taking care of my parents. They lived independently, but I was I was an emotional person. Um, support for them, uh, as well, as well as a lot of physical support. And I found it very difficult. I had, um, I had children going to college. Um, I had children, you know, entering middle school at the same time that I was trying to talk, trying to help my parents. And it was just very emotionally draining for me. And then, um, my, my father, um, passed away after a long um, battle with Lewy body dementia, which is just heartbreaking illness. And then my, um, my mother lived with us for a time, and then she ended up becoming ill, and she passed away. And so I was kind of left with this hole because I had been a caretaker for so long, or I felt like. And um, and I I started talking to other people, and people would say, can my friend call you because um, she's her father's going through this illness and she's starting to take care of him, and, and I just knew that, that you're somebody that she could talk to. And so I thought, you know, there needs to be something out there for people to read to, to know what that journey is like because it is, it is hard and it is, um, it's a very painful phase of life. Um, there are bright spots along the way and there's some funny things that happen that you can, you just have to stop and laugh at yourself. But, um, so that's how I got started, um, is a way of reaching out to people that, that are going through that, that, that can relate to it. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, being a caretaker, is probably one of the most difficult things and at the same time one of the most rewarding things a person can do. Um, I did that for my mom for eight years. What I didn't have was the sandwich aspect of it. I didn't have mm. young children and I cannot imagine how, y- how you or anyone else would even manage that. Uh, one or the other is enough for any human.
1: Yeah, it 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 was it was very overwhelming at, at times. I have no regrets um about oh, yeah. having done it and mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad I did. I'm glad I was there for my parents and um mm-hmm. and my and I I'm glad my children of course they were very helpful and very close to their to my parents. Um uh, and my husband was a great support and I'm glad we went through it as a family because I think it it showed my my children that you know this is what you do for your for your family and um, sometimes life is hard and messy, and you just have to get through it. Um, so I have I have no regrets. It was it was a very rewarding experience, um, but it is exhausting. And sometimes I think if people haven't gone through it, they they feel all alone. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's it's helpful to have somebody to talk to about it. Absolutely. So my blog my blog is that, and it's also you know writing is cathartic for me. So. Um, it, that, that's how the blog
0: got started, and people seem to like it. And um,
1: so I've, I've really enjoyed that.
0: Yes, I'm sure it was cathartic for you. Uh, anytime you have to go through something, it's very helpful to just put it out there on paper. And nine times out of ten, what you write will help somebody else.
1: Mm hmm, definitely
0: any advice say for cuz i i know there's so many people that are struggling with that same situation if you had like one major piece of advice to to offer someone who is in the midst of caring for parents and children at the same time anything that jumps out at you that you might like to share
1: i i think the the best advice i could give is to forgive yourself because you're not going to be able to be all things to all people and there are going to be times when you're um shortchanging your children and and times when you need to be with your parents and you're not giving them what they need. And you just have to forgive yourself and, and realize that, um, you know, there may be, this may be a phase of life when you, your house is really messy or when, you know, friendships, you're not able to keep those up as much as you, you can, but, but you'll come back to that and just, just forgive yourself for, um, and, and also for some of the, the necessary anger that just, that comes with it. You know, there's, there's frustration and there's anger and, um, and, and, you know, you feel that and then you feel guilty for feeling yeah. that. But, uh-huh. um, I think you just have to, have to forgive yourself for, for, and, and know that you're doing everything you can do
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you can only do what you can do.
0: Thank you for that. I think that's that's probably the best piece of advice ever is to be kind to yourself and 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 realize that you are doing the best that you can and to be forgiving of yourself. Thank you for sharing that. And and also ask for help. Ah, yes. It's amazing how many people will will be happy to jump in and help, but they
1: they don't they don't they don't realize you need it because you you seem to be doing it so well.
0: That's very, very true. That's a hard thing to do. I know I don't think I ever asked anybody for help. I just mm-hmm. did it all did it all myself, but uh, it's really hard to ask for help. It is It is excellent. So that is on your website. Why don't you then, if you would, share uh, any place that we could go to find out more about you, your blog, your books, whatever you want to share with us?
1: Sure, uh, my website is Melissacaro.com. And the blog is, you can link to the blog from there, or you can get to it from inthemiddle.life. And I post a couple of times a month. I was doing it weekly. Lately, it's been closer to um, once or twice a month. Kind of depends on what I have to say, but I'd love to have people visit that website.
0: So it's melissacaro.com, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, Caro is spelled C-A-R-R-O, melissacaro.com. The book That's we right. talked about today is Mount Mariah's Wake. Um, the blog is titled In the Middle. The coming book is called Bagels at Nine. Anything we missed before we head out that you want to speak of? I don't think so. It's available
1: in independent bookstores. Um,
0: it's, it's always great to support your local independent
1: bookstore. It's also in Barnes & Noble's books a million and of course on
0: amazon so um and any reviews are are always welcome (laughs) all righty melissacaro.com mount mariah's wake thank you so much for today i really enjoyed our time together thank you i i so enjoyed it too